Greetings. I'm Matt Matthews, one of the pastors here at First Pres in Champaign, and I'm happy to welcome you to our media ministry. Join us in person. We're located at the intersection of Church and State Streets, adjacent to Westside Park in downtown Champaign. Our traditional worship service is at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, and on most of those Sundays, we offer French translation. Our contemporary services on Sunday begin at 11.15 a.m. When you come to First Pres, what you'll find, what I hope you'll find, is a community of people who support each other and who are passionate about making a difference in our community and beyond. You'll find relevant teaching for children and adults. We have at least a dozen Bible studies in small groups, including pickleball, that's right, pickleball, adult choir, a bell choir for all comers, and other programs and events designed to grow your faith and give you and me opportunities to serve. There's a place for you. I'm glad you tuned in. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the 20th chapter of John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and this is after Jesus' resurrection, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the authorities, in this case they were Jews, had Presbyterians been in charge, it would have been for fear of the Presbyterians, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them and the doors were shut. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I grew up thinking that um, faith was good and doubt was bad. Faith uh, was, was good and, and doubt not so much. I equated doubt with faithlessness. As I got older, uh, I was becoming a better doubter than believer. I had doubts, and it seemed doubts sometimes had me. Was Jonah really swallowed by a giant fish? Did God create the whole cosmos in six days? What about dinosaurs? And what about those plagues? And would God really expect Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? What kind of God would require that? And what kind of father would even consider it? What about the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection? And how is it that God could call different people to believe drastically different things about the same point of the same matter? I had belief as a young person, but I also had unbelief. I had doubts. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about, having doubts as a young person, or having doubts at any age. Perhaps you know what it's like to have doubts 
right now. Well, I kept these doubts at bay. I was a good Christian person until my my first college world religion class. And that created all kinds of doubt. As I studied world religions and made friends with people who had differing points of view with Muslims and Taoists and Jews and others, I wondered if my friendliness to other religions made me a lukewarm Christian. I was terrified that because of my doubts, I was letting God down. I'm sure I'm the only person on the face of the earth who's ever believed this. But I believed that, and I feared in all of Christendom, I was the weak link. I called my pastor. That's what you do when you're having a crisis of faith, right? You call your pastor. I called him up, and he agreed to see me after my Thursday afternoon classes, um, and he said, come late, come anytime, just, just knock on the door, don't ring the bell. And I said, well, what if I came after Hill Street Blues? And he said, yeah, don't interrupt Hill Street Blues. So at 11 o'clock at night, I left Richmond and headed to Hampton. And I remembered, he said, knock on the door, don't ring the bell. You don't want to wake up Mrs. Andrews. What he did not say is you don't want to see Mrs. Andrews without her teeth. I left Richmond, I got to Louis's house, I knocked on the door, and by the way, I just called him Louis. I would never say that to his face. But, but he was doing what preachers do late at night. He was drinking a Diet Coke, he was working a crossword puzzle, and he was watching a late baseball game. To me, Mr. Andrews was the font of all wisdom. He walked the faith. And in him and his wise counsel, I knew that night I would find all answers and all doubt would be dispelled. He walked the faith. He sat the faith. He waited the faith. When my father was having bypass surgery for all those hours at Norfolk General Hospital, he was there early, prayed with my dad, sat with the family. When the doctor finally came out and said, after a a terribly long pause, he says, I think, Mrs. Matthews, your husband's going to be fine. My mom and my Uncle Bob melted in tears, and Mr. Andrews stood up and did what preachers do. He prayed, he thanked God, and he talked to God like God was an old friend. And then he said, Matt, come with me. And he took me to the cafeteria, and he bought me a milkshake. Mr. Andrews had faith. He had answers. You could count on Mr. Andrews. He was Dr. Andrews, Reverend Doctor, but, but the kids called him Mr. Andrews. On Easter, he greeted us in the churchyard at the sunrise service. We'd walk around to the big field. We would gather in the morning wet and cold, and then we'd walk to the doors, which he had chain-locked. And he would pound on the doors, and we'd, we'd recite this, this, uh, this, this back and forth. He would say, death, come out. And we would say, death, come out. Bam, bam, bam. Death, come out. And we would say, except we were freezing, so we said it with more conviction. Bang, bang, bang. Death, come out. And we would say, and then he'd unlock the door. Actually, before he unlocked the door, a member of the youth group, I've told you this before, would come across on the roof of the church and lean over the gutters, dressed in a white, white uh, um, uh, tablecloth taken from the church kitchen. And he would say his one line. These were the older members of the youth group. 
Why do you seek the living among the dead? And then Mr. Andrews would pull out the key and off we would go into worship to worship God with gladness. Mr. Andrews had all kinds of faith. He had faith in God and he had faith that teenagers wouldn't fall off the roof on Easter morning. Can you imagine, Dave Whitford, what our insurance agent would say? Can you imagine your insur our insurance agent, your youth group is doing what? Mr. Andrews didn't care what the insurance agent had to say. Each week, Mr. Andrews made the Christian faith clear in 20, 25, 30-minute sermons. And he took war and pestilence and brought it in, in a way we could understand with prayer. We trust you, O God, not my will, but your will be done. We believe. And we did. And we said so in the creed. We believe. I thought Mr. Andrews stood like a rock. You know where this is going, don't you? I know you know where this is going. One night late, I was working on a term paper at the church, and we young people were allowed to work on term papers at the church. He said, the church is yours, isn't it? And we said, is this a trick question? He said, well, the church is God's, but God wants you in it. So I'm glad that you're here working on your term paper. So I wrote my term paper on the church secretary's IBM Selectric, you know, that old, old typewriter, the kind with the white erase ribbon. And somehow late at night, I accidentally caught the church copier on fire. So I called Reverend Andrews. This was well after midnight. The term paper was due the next day, of course. And I had not been working diligently on it before then. I called Mr. Andrews because if I called the fire department, the whole neighborhood would get up. He was asleep. But he said, unplug the copier, go to the church kitchen and get a knife. Stick the knife in the paper exchange. Twist and pull out the paper. Pause. But be careful, it might be hot. Mr. Andrews was full of faith. He believed not only in God, but on that, that night, <clears throat> he believed just a little bit in me. So on that late Thursday night, after world religions had crashed my, my own faith, I admitted to Reverend Andrews my doubts. I knew he would set my mind at ease. I didn't know how he would do it, but I knew he would. He would make all things clear. In fact, he did not. He said, listen, I have the same doubts he said, you're asking the right questions. He said, are you talking to God about this? God can handle your questions. Are you listening to God? He added that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Now, I don't remember precisely anymore what he said that night. But from that moment on, I listened keenly whenever he brought up doubts. For many more years left of preaching. He was in our church for 32 years. He said, doubt is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is, what do you think he said? Certainty. Certainty. You win the war, David Lamont. I mean, he's going to get a sucker at the end of church. Certitude. Certitude is the opposite of faith. First of all, uh, if you're certain about everything, first of all, you're wrong. 
And second of all, you don't need to grow anymore because you know everything. You don't need to learn anymore because you already have all of the answers. Faith, that's not faith. Faith is messy. Faith is, faith is two steps forward, one step back. Faith is a growing thing. Certitude is not. Doubt actually is good for the faith, he said. It's like manure for a plant. It helps faith grow. It's natural. And get this, doubt is an emotion that was given to us by who? Our creator. And so doubt must be a good emotion, something worth having. And so doubt somehow must be part of God's plan. It was like dragging a needle across a brand new Seals and Croft record. Everything stopped. I couldn't speak. Reverend Andrews didn't have all the answers. Reverend Andrews had done nothing but raise my pulse. So we sat and watched baseball for a while. And I remember him groaning when the second baseman overthrew the first baseman in an easy double play. And I thought to myself, how can he watch baseball at a time like this? We ended up talking late into the night. But he had something. He had something for me. And this is what I needed. And this is what saved my life. He had... A relationship. He, he trusted God. He loved God. And no, he didn't fully understand God. His theology books on the walls didn't have all the answers, though the theologians often thought they did have all the answers. His own Christian doctrine, he said, was full of holes. His own Christian doctrine kept things together for him, sort of, but, but not completely, not perfectly. He had a million questions. He wondered about tons of stuff. And get this, it delighted him. It delighted him that he didn't have all of the answers. Faith was way, way bigger than his own brain, he said. He didn't have much of a brain, he said. I was beginning to believe him. God was bigger than the whole cosmos, so why should he be able to understand God? Why would he, a, a mortal, not have doubts? He was filled with wonder and awe and curiosity, and this is what got me. He was filled with gladness. He knew that God loved him, and I suppose that was the essential thing. He believed God created the cosmos. He had no idea he did how, it, how that happened. Science didn't ruin his faith. It deepened it. It enlivened his faith. Science didn't try to explain God. Theology attempted to do that, and theology was an approximation at best. Theology was an art, not a science, and we, we invented theology, not God. Mr. Andrews knew God in the person of Jesus the Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he found the expression of faith in Christian doctrine and in the Christian story. He found that to be the way, the truth, and the life for him. As for the diversity of other world religions, that was above his pay grade, he said. And I remember that. That's above my pay grade. And I thought, what are we paying, for you, paying you for if you can't answer questions like this? God certainly spoke to the Muslim, he said, and to the Taoist and to the Jew and to the agnostic differently and uniquely and wonderfully. But for Louis Andrews to be faithful, he needed to be, he needed to be a Christian. That's what God had called him to do and to be. This was his calling, and he was certain about that. And he said, you will be certain about that or something else, he said to me. God's heart was so big there was room for everybody, even room for him, he said. 
And what he did not say, he implied. God's heart was big enough for everybody, even for me. That was a big lesson on that Thursday night. Louis Andrews trusted God to hold, to help, to save, to heal, and to use him. Jesus was Louis's Lord and great teacher. The Apostle Paul was Louis's theological sparring partner, and Paul and Louis Andrews did not always agree. The prophets carried Louis's marching orders. That's what Louis was called to be and to do. And the psalmist expressed faith, uh, expressed praise and lament and doubt and anger and every other human emotion in such ways that it gave Louis the language to express his own doubt and his own wonder and his own awe and his own anger and his own praise. For Mr. Andrews, Jesus wasn't so much the answer as he was the person who walked with him through every season of life, including seasons of doubt. It was a hell of a night. How refreshing then and now it is to meet Thomas on the pages of the New Testament. He doubted and forever has been named doubting Thomas. I say thank God for doubts and for the doubters, for the Mary Magdalene's and for the Thomases, for the anxious college seniors struggling through world religions and old preachers. Thanks be to God for the doubts and the doubters. The greatest and deepest literature and spirituality. This is Israel Galindo writing from Columbia Seminary. The greatest and deepest literature and spirituality from St. Augustine to John the Cross, John, St. John of the Cross to Teresa of Avila to John Bunyan. The greatest and deepest spirituality comes from persons who did not speak from the hubris of certainty about the Christian faith. Rather, they spoke from the depths of their wrestling with God and the angst of the vagaries of faith. These saints and all saints who experienced and still experience doubt remind us that Frederick Buechner is right when he said, doubt is the ants in the pants of the faith. If you don't have doubts, he said, you're either kidding yourself or you're asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. When doubts come, as they most certainly do and will, may we be open to the possibility that our doubts may lead us to deeper things. Things like awe and wonder and appreciation for the mystery of God. Serious doubts led Thomas to serious faith. Doubts about God could be for us a gift from God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for joining this podcast of First Presbyterian Church Champaign. Visit us at our campus at the intersection of Church and State Streets in downtown Champaign. And for more information, visit us online at www.firstpres.church. Have a great week.